Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Is loaded and one out. Oh, oh my God! Right deep to right field, way up there and way out of here. Second deck walk off home run. Grand slam. What is going on, everybody? Mike here from this loaded fantasy baseball podcast, and joined, not as always, but as often as possible, by George. You can follow on Twitter at roto underscore nino. George and I are obviously, for those who might be new to the podcast side of things on YouTube, George is my co-host. Uh, we usually do a lot more in the offseason, but in-season things get crazy. He's getting married in a few days. So congratulations to that, buddy. I know you have a lot going on there, but I think we can join together. It's episode 200. This is a, It's supposed to be a milestone, yet here we are, just the two of us, as if like we we're. I thought we were supposed to be more like of a grand gesture. Like We're supposed to go out and get these special guests or go, no, it's just us again. <laughs> yeah hey man that's the totally cool with me when i i saw uh 200 was coming up i'm like yeah we gotta make sure we, we're both on there for for 200 uh yeah like you said it's just been crazy crazy busy been keeping up uh with our content over at gte um and then yeah getting married next weekend so still have a lot going on there um the anxiety is like through the roof right now <laughs> So um, as soon as that's over, it's going to be uh, a relief. But it's definitely something I'm looking forward to. It's crazy, man. Two hundred episodes, and like just look thinking back today, like like when it started, like we went through the whole pandemic, and like we started before, you know, those what was like 2019 we started. Yeah, it was uh, 2019. My first ever uh, sleeper was Josh Bell. My first ever bust was Alberto Mondesi. And I think I might have had Vlad on my bus list that year, which I was right about that year. Then I was wrong about every year since, basically. But uh, it was one of those things I remember because I actually did the first ever episode by myself. And it was Sleepers, mm-hmm. Megots, and Busts. And then I was like, I, I randomly tweeted out to the Twitterverse, hey, I just want to co-host. We didn't, we never knew each other. We weren't friends before this. We met because we're both like, why not? Let's do this podcast. I set these weird expectations up. I actually texted, for those who don't know the backstory, I texted the wrong George Montanez once upon a time. I, I gave you the wrong number. <laughs> you gave me the wrong number, but I think it was like one digit off. And yep. when you gave me that number, I this person was playing along super into it. And then it was amazing. They sent us a picture of this dog. Uh, what was his name? Dinger? We named him? Dinger, yeah. Oh, right. my goodness. We had it. I wish, you know what? I wish we had the picture so I could show Dinger off to the youtube people but one thing i do have i want to show is the original uh one of the original podcast uh pictures <laughs> it's uh That's super right. it's it's super cheesy this is what it was back in the day I mean, it was red lettering i think is what we ended up going with this long like a find of like the original first this was our logo for the podcast and it turned it has since turned into other oh, so hey twitter you weren't supposed to be there yet we will remove you because i was uh sending you stuff on twitter but anyway and we're gonna talk some players tonight we're gonna talk some early takeaways how we're adapting is it too early to attack needs in fantasy so to speak and i should have probably mentioned this at the beginning so for those watching who already clicked off they won't even care but for those listening 
you knew we were going to talk a little bit about the past, but uh, also going to talk about analysis and small samples. Like, what are we taking away from it? Is there much that we can get out of this early analysis? Is it just, are we overthinking it? And of course, we're going to talk closers because if there's ever a day in age to cover closers or at least be on top of them, it's now. They treat closers like they treat platoons. You know, it's just like who's in, who's out, mm-hmm. who's up, who's down, who's trending, which way. And guess what? That is what George covers best. And we're going to talk about a few players that are underperforming, overperforming, concern levels, and more. I hate to cut off the nostalgia, but I think it's time we get into the content a little bit. George. Yeah. Early takeaways uh, in terms of like the potential for new ball, the pitch clock, you're seeing obviously pitchers, the ERA, the ratios are getting absolutely decimated, destroyed, pick a word. It's like it's like a nuke went off in fantasy baseball or in baseball general and ratios are exploding in the process. What are you doing? Like, how have you like, is this something we should be expecting as the weather gets warmer to keep going, getting worse? Do we expect pitchers to adapt a little bit in the middle? Where are you at with this? Yeah, man, just like everyone else, I'm, you know, over here tilting uh, just about every night for a different pitcher uh, (laughs) getting hit. So it's been rough. It's been rough for sure. Um, Yeah, uh, it's there's just been so many factors, right? Just this whole adjustment period has been crazy. Uh, We've had different injuries. Uh, I mean, outside of like a handful of of pitchers, right? It's like you're you're struggling somewhere. I don't know. I think I think. I think it is early, you know, we're only, you know, three weeks um, in, into the season. Um, I'm not necessarily like chasing categories, but I am aware of like, you know, where I'm falling behind in, um, you know, I, there, there are some leagues where it's like, yeah, everyone's getting blown up. So it's like, at this point, do I just go chasing the the wins and, and strikeouts and let the ratios just kind of fall where they go? I mean, uh, yeah, hopefully, you know, as, as, the, the more experience that these guys have with the pitch clock and then the warmer weather, uh, we start, we start seeing things kind of normalize a little bit, but yeah, it's been rough in the early going, even just like covering the uh, relievers on a day-to-day basis. I mean, even, even they've been, you know, pretty volatile. So uh, yeah, it's been rough. <laughs> Not to mention you have the, you obviously the early season weather issues. So you're having velocity changes. It's hard to get, and that's when you have to start looking like you're really microanalyzing because you get velocity up, velocity down, all right, well, oh, they were in a dome today. Oh, they were outside. So the velocity being down, the weather being bad, that makes sense. But when a player loses some velocity and they're in a dome, you're like, wait, <laughs> wait, what? That takes note. That's you know that's something worth noting. And it's like, so we're kind of playing this daily game of seeing what's going on, especially because of how volatile it's been as a position. We're trying to figure out what edge we can gain. And honestly, like there's guys like Justin Steele and Sonny Gray just crushing it right now and so the regression monster hasn't come for them yet, but it's coming. But then you have guys like Gossman who had the get wrong game, so to speak, because he's been mm-hmm. getting it right all season. Lazardo kind of had a get wrong game, you know, the, uh, with the Giants. So no one is safe, although I've been fortunate to start off better than most in some of my leagues, some of my later draft leagues. But I lost Woodruff, <laughs> you know, people uh, yeah, sure's sure up, sure up for 10 days now on a suspension after some BS. You also have Verlander out. So even guys that even when you drafted heavy pitching, there's there's a lot of injury to pitchers already, which again happens every year. There's also the fact that like the good pitcher, not all the good pitchers are pitching good. There's uh, some it's hard to determine which bad pitchers you should be streaming. I, I streamed uh, Gibson a couple times and got a couple wins out of it. He has more wins than some of the starters I actually drafted from day one. So it's just like there's a lot ups and downs. You kind of have to just ride it out and trust your preseason projections. Still for them for the most part, there are tangible mm-hmm. things to take away from it. But in terms of uh, 
in terms of, I guess we'll skip to this one and go back to the other question I have on our outline here. But in terms of analysis, what I mentioned, obviously, uh, you know, weather, uh, velocity and stuff. But what other stuff are you looking into this early that you can kind of take away from these small samples, if anything? Yeah, I mean, like you said, you still got to kind of trust your, your like your preseason um, analysis and stuff like, you know, we're, we're still just three weeks in. I just a couple of days ago, I I had like Spencer Strider and Christian Javier, and um, I, I still rolled out Hayden Wisniewski, and they all had good outings this week. And I jumped like eleven standings points. Like we're still in that uh, in that point of the season. Uh, so I, I mean, I, I'm kind of taking a look. Like when it comes to at least with like the pitchers, like yeah, you, you're you're monitoring uh, velocity. You want to see guys have better control. Like the one guy was like uh, Luis Garcia of the Astros, uh, he was, you know, we, it was him and Javier over the first few starts, like we're showing like, you know, a little bit diminished velocity. Um, Garcia in particular was kind of all over the place with his control. Uh, and, and with, uh, he was using his fastball and like you, when he's walking guys and getting, and that fastball gets crushed and, he, and he's, you know, it, it just exacerbates the problem. His, but I, Hey, on my bench, he goes like seven innings and nine strikeouts. <laughs> um, I had him on my bench everywhere. So yeah, he wasn't someone I was dropping, but it's just one of those examples where like, Oh, he made an adjustment. Velocity was up a little bit and there you go. Seven innings, uh, nine strikeouts. And, and he's probably going to be just fine too. So yeah. Um, I'm not being too, too reactionary, uh, the guys that are that have come up, like that have kind of come onto the scene, like Taj Bradley and stuff. I, I picked up a lot of Taj Bradley. Like th- those are the kind of moves I'm making, where I'm trying to get in on on some guys early. Uh, but yeah, I'm trying not to be too reactionary. I know, like in in this day and age, like you know the as much as like betting is exploding and stuff, we all want that instant gratification. We want to oh, see yeah. our teams. And our players doing well, like right off the bat, we want to we want to see uh, the 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 outcomes. But no, you just I think it's just important to just kind of stay patient and, and disciplined. Yeah, and you mentioned Garcia's uh, d- difficulty in terms of locating, and I so I pull up his uh, savant page, and you'll see that his four seamer. Look at that hot zone. <laughs> just look at it, George. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's I mean, not his what you want. Four seam was already bad, and and uh, yes, so, yeah, so much in the zone right there. If you're uh, looking at the screen if here. you're watching on youtube that's <laughs> why it's hard so middle of the zone it is it is as hot as it gets right down the middle yeah. he's not hitting up he's not hitting down he's he's pretty much living right down the middle like middle middle of the zone with his four seamer that's uh luis garcia of the astros we're talking about and if for those listening again youtube.com slash igt fantasy to see the visuals behind it but yeah, that's why I was like, I brought him up because I'm like, you mentioned him. And I was like, let's talk about him. <laughs> I just wanted to pull that up. Like, yeah, let's show them. Oh, it's bad. But yeah, like you mentioned, these players, these pitchers, they are adapting. They are adapting to the pitch clock. They're adapting to timing. They, you know, early season struggles, whether we talked about that too, it's just, it's normal. So being patient with these guys, you draft in early rounds make a lot of sense. But then there's guys like, I don't know, for instance, we're looking early on. I like to look at pitch mix changes. I like to mm-hmm. see how players having some early success with a pitch mix or a guy like a Justin Steele who's having success coming off of a pitch mix change in the second half where it started leading to more success. And you're seeing that carry over, so now it makes it easier to believe in Justin Steele a little bit. He's not as good as he's been, but you get the point there. And then you have, uh, obviously, I'm trying to think of another – I can't really think of another name right now, but you get my point. It's kind of pitch mix changes followed by – 
all by changing production. And you have guys like Edward Cabrera, which I talked about on the, on the episode that dropped today. So this is dropping the next days. So I'm not going to get too much into it, but he's another guy in two starts. You know, he looked terrible, was walking the yard. Next two starts, he adapted. And what, what mattered in those adaptations he made was Cabrera, you know, changed up his pitch mix and started getting better results in terms of overall just not walking as much. Strikeouts were there and just looked better. So players are also making changes start to start. So if you're really trying to get granular and truly trying to catch on to trends as they happen, you monitor these players start to start and you realize, okay, good, bad, good, good, bad, good, good, bad. What happened? Okay, then you take away those four good ones and look at what happened in those four games and maybe realize, okay, so four out of five, you figured it out and maybe he'll start and he's starting to change his ways. You know what I mean? So you have that's where the analysis is kind of progressing to because as you mentioned, we have more information than ever before. So we're always going to try to, we always have to try to keep up with the changing, the ever changing, you know, thing, the world that is fantasy or that is baseball in general. And in order to stay a step ahead of everyone is to be that granular with as many players as possible, which is impossible. You know, I'm, I'm keeping an unsustainable pace right now with how much I'm covering, but it is what it is. And a guy, a guy, for instance, a guy like uh, Jose Barrios, here's a, a quick look into some of my notes that I had planned for another, for another episode. He, uh, the last two starts, Barrios has been quote unquote back. I wouldn't say he's quite back yet, but if you look at Barrios, he made two solid outings in a row, right? Well, pitch mix has fluctuated, so it wasn't a pitch mix thing. It was like rather inconsistent. Like one start, he leaned heavier on the fastball. The other one, he leaned heavier on the slurve. The strand rate, but if you look at the last two starts in particular compared to the first for Barrios, the last two starts, you saw the strand rate improve, but I would call it more of a correction because it was so underwhelming and so below average that it kind of got closer to average. Actually, still below average, but still close enough. The, but the big thing I noticed was that Barrios attacked the zone more. And with Barrios, that was that was what I noticed. The big thing was when he attacked the zone more, it was a 10% difference. We're talking a zone rate of 37.5% for Barrios in the first two starts compared to 46.8%. So he's not getting the strikeouts. The strikeouts took a bit of a hit. We saw the O swing, which is a chase rate. We saw that dip, and we also we saw the swinging strikes for a dip. But he gave up the chases. He gave up the swinging strikes to induce more contact, and it's been weaker contact, whereas – by trying to play too much of like location games, I think he was missing his spots too often. And when he missed his spots, he was getting crushed in those first two starts. Whereas Barrios attacking the zone a lot more these last two starts, not trying to be too picky of where he's trying to locate. And it's worked out for him in terms of inducing weaker contact and overall better numbers minus the strikeout stuff. So I think Barrios is figuring it out. I don't think the ceiling is what it was or what it once was. But I think there is a path to a good floor if he can continue these changes and continue to find success with the changes we've seen the last two starts. And this is where the granular, that's where that granular look comes in because now early in the season, like it's going to take how bad he was the first two starts. Those last two starts still haven't really truly shown that the production, how much has changed in the last two starts because he inflated his, his ratio so much. It's going to take more than two good starts to get him to where they need to be. And that's why paying attention to these little intricate parts of a player's game and changes throughout start to start early on can make a difference and make something like a bear like more palatable. And not to mention those two starts that he's had success in what they came against the Astros and it was another, I thought it was like another good offense. No, oh no, they, he plays for the blue Jays. Who, who did they play that night though? I'm trying to remember the other start. It doesn't really matter. Yeah, honestly. I'm not sure. But yeah, I, do. I don't have any uh, Barrios myself, so I haven't really been following. Too I just, much. I just follow him. I just follow him because when I do my daily recaps, I notice, you know, I just notice like things are changing. And it was, oh, it was the Rays. That's right. He, he was the first Rays loss. That was the big thing. The Rays have been running hot. That's right. And, That's and right. He shut, he shut them down. He followed up that Rays outing with a Houston Astros outing. So are the strikeouts down because of the two really strong offenses he faced? That's also a possibility. So either way, though, we saw a change in attack, a change in game plan at least. And you and 
and the fallout being so positive for Barrios and against the teams that they faced, both teams. I mean, I know the Astros aren't full strength, but they still they're still top tier offense. And then you have the Rays who have beat everybody. So yeah, that's why it's like there's a little bit. I, I'm cautiously optimistic for Barrios. After like that's long, like all that was my long window way of saying I'm cautiously optimistic for Barrios. But I'm, I'm with you. I, I, he was actually available in my main. I bid I bid on him, but not nearly enough. He went way more than I expected coming off one good start against the Rays. And I, I mean, maybe I'll regret that because I also didn't bid heavy enough on Taj. And looking at Taj early on, you mentioned Taj looks fantastic. And I might have underestimated how much he will pitch this year. And that's my bad. I was never doubting the skills, but it's a big L if i just not going hard enough. Now, I don't even know if I would have bid enough on him. So it doesn't matter if I take a win or a loss technically because I was never out on the skills. But, man, um, I'm, I'm bummed because everyone, like, my team's okay with pitching. My loss Woodruff. And... I'm going to go through other losses at pitchings and I have my eyes on other guys. And what one of them is Mason Miller. We'll talk about, but before we get into that, I want to know in terms of in general, overall strategy talk here, what is, how is it too early? Is there such thing as having needs this early? And if so, do you attack them? Are you, or besides obviously the, obviously the ones that come from injury, you know, obviously Woodruff goes down, Verlander went down at the beginning of the year, you know, stuff like that. Besides the obvious injury stuff, do you look at the standings right now and kind of make some try to stream some players to try to hit certain stats? Do you try to attack waiver wire for certain streamers, certain stats as well? Or is it too early to really worry about that? Because you have guys like, for instance, Tovar not stealing bases, even though he was projected to, and stuff like that. You know what I mean? Like, are you making these at? Are you trying to adapt early, or are you kind of just again giving a little more time before you truly attack needs off the waiver wire or trade or whatever you do? Yeah, I, th- I think it might be. Um waiting a a little bit um before like aggressively attacking any needs i mentioned earlier like um the whole ratios thing like maybe i'm being a little bit more careful now or um it's tough it's a tough balancing act because it's like do you just go chasing the wins and strikeouts it's yeah i'm i don't really know it's that one's you know it i think it's still a little bit too early I think when it comes to chasing those wins and strikeouts, the issue is is you have a real good chance of inflating your ratios even beyond what they are. You don't want to do that too early yet because it is and hard to come back from. I think it's better to stabilize those ratios as early as possible for chasing that stuff. Whereas, you know, I, I got a little cute with, with Gibson, but I got two of three wins by streaming. I got lucky, I think, more so than anything, but I also attacked this matchups. However, in, in 15-teamers when I'm doing this stuff, it's usually be, almost out of necessity because it's either him with a really good matchup or somebody else with, like, a terrible matchup or, or a terrible two-start or a guy that's, like, coming off injury, like Brian Bayo, who I shouldn't have started, but I couldn't help it. <laughs> I was so excited for Bayo's return. But, like, for instance, I did attack what I what I felt were perceived needs. My team has been lacking in power, so to speak. Like, just slow, again, slow starts. Other than Matt Chapman and Acuna, my team's been, you know, Josh Naylor's on a cold streak. And we can actually add him to the outline because I've had some questions about him, actually, quite a few. But Josh Naylor's on a cold streak, um, among other names like that. But that was one that stuck out to me. I have guys like Oswaldo Cabrera, who's just a good, solid all-around guy, but not really a power guy. I have um, – who else do I have? That's a, Lourdes Gurriel Jr., another just solid all-around guy, but not a power guy. So I'm like – I have these high-floor guys. My batting average is decent. So I went out and made a point to get Carpenter and Berger. And, of course, this is where that instant gratification kicked in because you saw – you know, I was texting. I was, I was, yeah. I was so that day <laughs> because I got I got a Berger home run and a Carpenter home run. And Carpenter's actually been good this whole first half of the week. Uh, I knew Berger was probably a, you know, a one-week starter type of thing because I know Mankata's working his way back. But Carpenter, as long as there's righties on the agenda or on the schedule, Carpenter's going to play. And Carpenter is a power first guy. And, of course, they both had a home run the f- Monday which was like that instant gratification but then i accidentally set kepler over the wrong i made a rookie mistake here read the lineups properly i saw oswald 
Peraza, and I instantly thought of Oswaldo Cabrera for the Yankees. So I flipped mm-hmm. in. So I flipped in Cabrera over Kepler because my like, Kepler gets a lefty. He's batting eighth against Sale, and Kepler ends up going going yard that game. And meanwhile, I had no. And Oswaldo Cabrera actually didn't start because I missed because I messed. I did the whole classic Oswald versus Oswaldo mix up. So I lost a home run on my bench, which sucked. But again, early, I'll make it up, I'm sure. However, if I miss the overall by a home run, I will look back and think about how much I hate that mix up, right? Could you imagine? But yeah, so that's the type of thing. It's uh, where I, I looked at yeah. it like I kind of saw a need just because I saw how my team was performing. And I have no, I in a deeper format. And again, I'm emphasizing deeper formats. I have no problem riding hot hands off the bench, especially for cheap or off the waiver wire for cheap. Seeing where it goes because we've seen guys like what well, Patrick Wisdom's on like what five or six game home run streak right now. It's ridiculous. But guys like him, yeah, do this. I, I think that's a good point. Like as as like especially in deeper leagues, like I have teams with like Anthony Santander, Christian Walker, guys that like I drafted for power that I'm not. You know, you're not getting that power quite yet. And uh, so like I'll I'll stream in my utility spot. Like two weeks ago, I was looking at Frenchy Cordero. This last week, I was looking at Jack Sawinski, looking at uh, the core series, the good matches for the Pirates, and that those those are streams that like have worked out. Where like I'm getting that power that I haven't been getting. Like I'm not benching Anthony Santander and Christian Walker, but like I'm, I'm am I going to stream some guys that are interesting? You know, off off the wire for you know those categories that I'm I'm not getting quite yet. Like yeah, sure. And. That's going to bring us to our next thing. Now we talked about some strategy talk. We're talking and now it's time to get into what you are known for. This is your thing, George. This is what you do for GTE. <laughs> you do a reliever recap almost daily, if not daily, I believe lately it's been daily. You've been doing a lot of them, but you go through all the Savant stuff. You go through the recent usage. You discuss relief pictures, who's up next and who you have your eye on. And you've always been my guy for this. So let's talk about something. I, I have nothing written down here. So I'm going to let you lead the way here with what you want to talk about, who has your attention, what situations to monitor. It's all yours, buddy. Yeah. Floor. <laughs> so it's yeah. It's been the first thing I do every morning. I'll get up and I'll, I'll uh, recap basically all the relevant like bullpen information from the day before, and, and that'll go up on on the GTE website. And I'll, I'll you know record who's who's gotten saves, who's who got holds that day, um, and I'll, I'll do like a, a little write up on each situation every day where it's like you know that someone's you know I also include like all the the uh swing and strike percentages and all that so yeah i've been trying to stay on top of all that like as, as good as possible so far and um I, I should be able to do that you know throughout the season probably will be off uh next week for the wedding <laughs> but i was gonna say i was gonna say you're getting married <laughs> I, I i expect one in the morning of your of your actual uh of your whole thing you know i want it done before you walk the aisle you know yeah but you know <laughs> bef- this draft this draft season i i i just I wasn't comfortable with a lot of the prices, a lot of the situations. I thought maybe this year, you know, you could kind of get by going late closer. Um, <laughs> I, I didn't think, you know, maybe it won't take as many saves to, to be a competitive or at least like finish middle of the pack where you can, you know, really solidify other positions early on. And, you know, it's, it's kind of looking that way. You're seeing, you know, maybe a half dozen situations where like you feel really good about it. Um, you know, Felix Bautista in Baltimore has been awesome. Uh, um, Emmanuel Classe is, you know, he struggled the first few times up, but he's, he's, looks like he's back. He's uh, stringed together some good outings now. So you got Classe, Bautista, uh, one of your guys, Clay Holmes. Um, Although he's you know, had his couple rough outings too. So he has, yeah, he has, he's had a couple rough outings. Um, Kenley Jansen, he, you know, he, he's been, he's been great to start off. 
uh Devin Bossy's been up there too for him. It was weird. Kenley just randomly it he is, was yeah. wasn't wasn't everybody con- concerned about Kenley and his like lack of the like the whole being slow worker in between pitches and stuff. That was like a whole thing. I remember a whole right, narrative yeah. of him and he's coming out throwing gas harder than ever while he's that thing. the velocity, yeah, it's yeah. been it's been up. Uh the same with uh <laughs> It's the same with the role as Chapman. Well, he's, he's been juicing. incredible too. He's juicing. <laughs> I don't. He's. A, I don't believe he's not juicing. Suddenly, all like all of a sudden, got all that velo back. No, screw you. Screw you, man. You're you're lying. You're a cheater. I don't believe. You. <laughs> yeah, right now there is you, no, there's no testing right now. Yeah, yeah. You've got and then you've got Jordan Romano, David Bednar that you feel good about. But outside of that, I mean, <laughs> you need you like have, five closers. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Um, you know, maybe, um, you know, Air AJ has been really useful. I mean, but the Rays are just blowing everybody out. So yeah. he's barely gotten any any save chances. But, um, you know, uh, Minter's been the closer with At- Atlanta. He's been he's been fine. Um, even like Ryan Helsley. I, I mean, I don't, I don't know, you know, how often the Cardinals are going to let him do like back-to-backs. You've seen like uh, Gallego step, step in. Um for a save so you're just seeing a lot of these situations all around the league where it's just like mat pretty matchup dependent josh Hader is another one that you know you, you feel fine good about but um yeah a lot of those guys camilo Duvall, uh scott barlow uh you know daniel bard he's uh he just came back but unfortunately you know he had to miss the start of the season with with anxiety who knows how that situation is going to go? The the Dodgers, the Dodgers too. They haven't really had many save chances. Uh, I, I think yeah, Evan Phillips has uh, kind of taken the first uh, couple of saves there. Uh, but there's just so many situations where uh, it, it's you're looking at a timeshare like you know Michael Fulmer, Brad Boxberger splitting saves uh, there in Chicago. I would still I would still think that Fulmer is is the guy to roster there, but they're gonna they're gonna give some save chances to, to Brad Boxberger if the situation calls for Fulmer to, to pitch the eighth. Uh, same with David Robertson. We've seen him uh, used in, in non-safe situations, you know, eighth inning, top of the orders coming up, and uh, Adam Adovino has the last two saves for the Mets. Uh, you know, so there have been some that, that emerged. Uh, unfortunately, with uh, Andres Munoz's uh, injury, Paul Sewell's just kind of taking control there. Um, so he's been coming through, but who knows what happens, you know, when Munoz does come back. Uh, the Angels, Carlos Estevez was one of my late targets. He, it, it just, it's funny because uh, we were, we, we text back and forth and, and I remember you, you saying like, Estevez is never available. <laughs> and when and, he is, he goes out, he goes out and throws 30 pitches a night. And right, then yeah, he, he goes, yeah. It, it's frustrating because the stuff looks good, but he's having issues locating, it looks like. So he's giving up hard hits. He's giving up home runs. And then Quijada looks great, but Quijada's a lefty. I don't know. And it's like they're both factoring, though. And then the other night, I think I saw Estevez get brought in for a non-safe situation, but it was against the top of the order or the middle of the lineup. So it was a high it was a high leverage situation. So he's still getting – it looks like Estevez is still getting the most high leverage of situations. However – I want the guy getting the, the saves. And the issue is, is Quijada is always more available and he seems to be more mm-hmm. efficient there. That's all I was going to bring up that situation. Cause obviously that's one I am very invested in because I need freaking saves, man. But at the same time, I can't trust Quijada as much as I can trust Estevez, honestly, any given week, either one of them get two or three saves. It wouldn't surprise me yeah. if it was Quijada one week, Estevez the next, depending on how that team, you know, wins and then yesterday it was a 3-2 game i'm like it's the yankees and and the uh, and the angels so i'm like sweet i got a save from somebody no neither one of my freaking guys got saves neither one <laughs> of Holmes or Estevez got saves in that game 
but it was a 3-2 game. The Yankees won, and neither one of my guys got saves. I was really frustrated. I was like, how do you get – how does that happen? Why? I just need saves. I give up. Yeah. Anyway, I it's, just wanted to – <laughs> This is the world that we live in now, man. This is just the world that we live in now. I don't like it. If you don't have, or even if you do have one, like I, I mentioned, like oh, there's only what, like there's less than ten guys you feel really great about. So, like, even if you have one of those guys, no matter what, like you're constantly looking at the waiver wire, looking at you know stream a, a reliever, pick up the next guy. Um, there, there's some. There, I have some teams where. I picked up my closers. I picked up like AJ Puck um, and Jose Alvarado and uh, I drafted Evan Phillips and I'm rolling with those three and I'm top half of the league in saves rolling with Alvarado, Puck and, and Phillips. Um, so I just, yeah, at this point, I'm just like, okay, who's, who's got the skills, who's in the mix for some saves. And I'm just going to roll with those guys. Now a team I wanted to ask about the team that everybody wants saves from tigers you know naturally uh only because i saw jason foley get a save i think it was the second save of the season and in terms of ratios he's been the best obviously not the biggest strikeout guy or i think it was his first save i thought it was the second for some reason it was the first save of the season but you know nine nine strikeouts per uh, sorry not yeah k per nine of nine but it's 26.7 percent strikeout rate's good but the 10 percent walk rate not good as a closer i, don't know, I was just looking at him a little bit just because again that seems like such an unsettled situation we've seen we've seen alex lang pitch as early as the seventh as late as like, obviously safe situations is, is it just one of those where it's either Alex saying or bust, especially after we saw Winter uh, low with the save too, and kind of just yeah. avoiding it. Yeah. I, I mean, I, yeah, at this point, um, I, I would say like Ling is still the only reliever there. That's kind of worth rostering Foley did get the save, but it was the second game of a doubleheader. I think Ling had actually gotten the save in, in game one um, and Foley got the save in game two. Uh, Foley, uh, I think, would be the next guy. We did see uh, Winginter get that the save chance that he just completely, completely blew. I don't even think he recorded an out in, in that outing. So, um, yeah, I would think I would think Foley is now like the the next guy. But just given like just the team context and the whole situation, I mean, um, Lang would still be the guy that I'm that I, I'm rostering there. Probably the only one worth rostering. <laughs> You killed, you killed my hopes. I had hopes that maybe I'm like, maybe he's worth a couple bucks. I'm not going to bother. Hey, but hey, it's, Foley's it's, probably one of those guys too that like you throw, you know, just a buck or two on every week. You churn, you know, you have a roster yeah. spot to just churn. You throw, you know, you roster Jason Foley for a week and who knows, you know, who knows what, what happens, what can well, happen there. So Woodruff, Woodruff took that roster spot away from me. That jerk. <laughs> so I just want to bring it up real quick. Everyone's talking about it. We don't have to waste a lot of time, but Mason Miller. Obviously came out, looked electric. Um, but other than that, I mean, obviously lived in the zone a little bit with the fastball. The cutter was living around the edges where you like it. The slider was apparently in the dirt. <laughs> I'm just looking. But obviously very small sample. Mason Miller we know has the upside, but we also know the, the narrative here. What, 30-something innings across his pro, league, uh, pro history, whatever, uh, came in through 80-something pitches in four, like four and a third. So obviously his pitch counts around the 80 to 85 range. It'll push up, but we can't trust the innings. Uh, teams will adapt, play pitches for the A's. So if he's already limited in terms of the likelihood of going five innings, on top of that, it's a team in the A's that won't win many games. So how many wins are we expecting? As you can tell from my tone, I'm rather down on him. Are you optimistic in terms of like yeah. this year at all? Or are you kind of feeling the same way? No, I'm, I'm kind of feeling the same way. I, I just, I feel like, 
after his first outing, I, I mean, and he was, dude, he was getting strikeouts on 102 mile per hour fastballs. Yeah. Uh, he's probably going to go for more than I'm, I'm willing to put down on him um, this weekend to, to pick him up um, just for the concerns that, that you mentioned there. He barely has any uh, professional innings under his belt um, that, you know, you just, you're, you're not sure how, how many you're going to get there. Um, if he's going to hold up and how many wins he's going to get. So, you know, maybe you're, maybe you're getting some solid ratios and strikeouts, which is, is worth something, you know, for as long as he is pitching. But um, I I think there are going to be other opportunities that are worth paying up for that may come up like in the next month. So that's kind of where my like hesitation is like, we saw, yeah, we saw like Taj Bradley go for for a bunch. We saw um, like Chris Bubich go for for a bunch. Yeah, don't mind me. Yeah, <laughs> um, that, so- that I show you the picture. Well, I don't know if I sent the picture of that for our group chat where I had Chris Bubich, where I won him in that same line of bids. I had Oviedo for like three or four bucks on there, and he went unclaimed. It was like seven bucks went unclaimed, and then the next week he went for one twenty five. Whereas if yeah. I missed, if I didn't win Bubich, I think I would have ended up with either Keller or Oviedo, both of which were all lower on that bid string. And both of which would have been way worth, obviously worth more than worth the money. Even if I missed on Oviedo, I would have at least got Keller, who has his own little interesting stuff going on. Not as much as Oviedo, or Oviedo right now, but still something. It was one of the things where I was like, I really had to win this guy, and I got I, I got what was considered a good price compared to the market, and still, obviously, it cost me more because now not only did it cost me the fab that I had to burn the next day basically, but then it also cost me missing out on one of those other guys lower on the bid list. And who else did I have ahead of him? Braxton Garrett, who I actually am really happy with right now, especially now with the 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 Rogers injury, Trevor Rogers injury with the forearm, good chance that we see a Garrett get a good amount of run in that line of spot. We saw how good he could be over a long term. So I think either way, even though I didn't, I'm just a little, a little humble brag, I guess. I got, I got I got lucky that the it, it lasted longer than I expected, and I got ahead of the market there without without really meaning to. So sometimes sometimes you need some luck to go your way. But yeah, so, look, yeah, I, I, got, I, I, I like got, that. I got lucky and unlucky in the same freaking situation. So you you know you, you take your lumps, but if when you look and then when I do the math, it makes you feel worse because I spent ten percent of my fab over ten percent of my thousand dollar fab on just Chris Bubich and uh, Braxton Garrett. And when you think about it like that, it's like I just spent a hundred over a hundred dollars, a little over a hundred dollars on a Marlins pitcher and a Royals pitcher. Because, <laughs> <laughs> but when you look at the waiver wire, that's kind of all it's there. Other than call ups, obviously. The guys on the right. wire, the guys on the wire, are on the wire for a reason. They're usually on bad teams. And uh, Garrett Cooper was another guy I got kind of, or I got early, and he's another guy that I'm actually happy to have. But another Marlins player, so it's like uh, there's a reason why these bad, the good players that are available are usually on the bad teams because they still, they always lack somewhere in terms of a counting stats. Like like with Oviedo in his case, it's going to be wins, and Garrett Cooper's case is probably going to be runs or RBI, whichever one, depends on where he hits in the lineup. But you get my point. There's always a, there's always a a quality in a player off the waiver wire that you're like, unless again, unless it's a call up on a big team and he starts smashing right away. It's, it's usually a, there's a reason why it's always the, the thing is, is there's always a reason why there's a guy, the guy's on the waiver wire is how I look at it. There's always a reason why he was there. And although like Oviedo, for instance, making all these changes looks really good. He's just, it's still like, he doesn't like how many wins are we getting there? That's still a stat you need. But like you mentioned with Miller getting back to getting back on topic here, you're going to get the ratios. You'll get the strikeouts. But the ratios are assumed. Teams are going to, I mean, he's never really pitched. We've never even seen him have, we've never seen him at a level long enough. Given the pitching (laughs) landscape, we can't really say for sure that you're getting the ratios, given just how things have looked so far. I mean, 
I mean, and on top of that, again, it's four innings, but he's never really been. I mean, his ground ball rate's been good, but how, how we haven't seen him do it over a more over a consistent period. We don't know how long he, how good he could be with a, with teams getting a consistent look at him. That's the thing. Miller has well, he's pitched literally. literally if you look, I pull. That's why I pulled up his Fangraphs page for people to look at. If you're watching, the innings are single digits at every stop. <laughs> so he hasn't had he hasn't had a long enough a long enough time at any level. That's uh, that's uh, Mason Miller we're talking about. Hasn't had a chance, at, a long enough chance at any level for teams to adapt, for coaching staffs to adapt, for you know these things to happen to where we can see that correction. So now that he's going to get full run at the highest level at with the best teams, the best players, I, it's not a guarantee that he's suddenly just going to keep doing this because all we've had are such small samples to bank on that, and it's going to probably cost triple digits this week. And I, I don't. There's just too many red flags for me. And I probably was wrong not to be aggressive on Taj Bradley, but I'm, I'm I'm hoping I won't be wrong for not being aggressive here. I know I'm sure a couple of my league mates are listening. You can have them. I'm just I'm not that in at that cost. Yeah. I know people. There's, there's, there's gonna, gonna be, people. be there's gonna be others that that you yeah know, you, you're gonna regret not having enough um, Fab for. So I mean, like Brandon fought. Uh, he's you know there's speculation he could be coming up soon with uh, Madison Bumgarner getting uh dfa'd i hope someone drops uh, him after the news of like the the other the name doesn't matter he, the guy that got somebody else got called up for him already to start for him for mad bum and it wasn't tommy fat. henry yeah him so so if, because if that if that drives someone to drop him i'm gonna be all over that <laughs> i'm gonna be all over that fad bid for sure yeah another one um there's some speculation on um in, in cleveland uh tanner bidey well, that's that's probably the next Taj Bradley level prospect of like in terms of hype and in terms of bid quality quantity too. I guess you're gonna be seeing those big bids for that type of guy too. I think. Yeah, Ricky Tiedemann is another one that's that's gotten some hype and he's looked fantastic so far in in Double A. Uh, we've heard some good things from the GM there um, in Toronto um, about him, uh, saying yep. you know not much more he needs to prove down there. So yeah, there's there's gonna be some other guys. And that, that was my thinking with Taj, but man, Taj looks so good. And I was yeah. I was probably wrong. I was probably I think my where I was wrongest wasn't again, I wasn't doubting the talent. I was doubting the I was doubting the Rays, but I don't think the Rays are gonna toy with him. And I guess I'm just not used to that because maybe they don't toy with their and then someone pointed out to me on Twitter, they haven't really been toying with their pitchers. And I, I kind of missed that because I think I'm just so used to them toying with Josh Lowe and Nate Lowe over the years, and just you know, they they platoon everybody in that lineup. I just, just I kind of it kind of bled into the whole. That's how they treat. I, I feel like they used to treat their pitchers that way, but they used to play the games where they wouldn't even call them up while they're young. So that's another thing that's new because they're calling up McClanahan, Baz, all these guys while they were still young. Whereas like I feel like Price was kind of young, but like he, they they made sure I think they made sure they got the extra year out of him and all that stuff. So that's one of those things where I'm like, I wonder if that's not a thing anymore. I'm just I gotta adapt my. I still have to go back in this offseason and really adapt my my process to being to realizing which teams are more aggressive, which teams won't play this game. Teams like the Pirates who left O'Neill down last year, who are leaving down their top catching prospect in um what well, Andy Rodriguez. That like the the Pirates become a team that like instantly I have a red flag like okay, no top prospect from them in my drafting in most leagues or whatever, but like maybe a team like oh wait, we saw the we know the Padres are aggressive with their prospects. We know uh, another, I'm trying to think of another team this year. Oh, like the White Sox brought up Colas. Uh, the, we saw Jordan Walker break camp at 20 years old for the Cardinals. These are going to be teams that now I'm, gonna make, I'm making notes of like, hey, these guys aren't on the 40-man, but we saw them be aggressive in the past with prospects. 
these guys might have a chance of breaking camp, even though they might not seem like it right now. And that's where I'm like, that's a big thing. That I think all of us have to adapt to being better at, but now it's going to turn into over aggressive. I feel like it's going to make us overly aggressive now because now we're going to be like, Oh yeah, these teams did it the last three years this year. They don't do it for whatever reason. Like Mason Wynn doesn't break camp next year for some reason, even though as long as he performs, he probably comes up for a cup of coffee later, later this year. But you get my point. It's like these guys, like, yeah. But it's it's good because it's gonna make us it's gonna at least but again it's about building trends and building up figuring out which teams are more likely to do these things and allow, and allow things for allow things to happen and yeah we're getting that information because we don't technically have that data right now you know what I mean we don't we're just we're speculating most of the time but some teams are showing it showing their hands more than others in terms of willingness to call these guys up and just have them run with it all right yeah we harped on this one enough let's move over to Juan Soto I'll even just bring the page up here while we're talking about him Juan Soto has just been off to a Terrible start, all things considered. First round pick for many, second round for few. Doing his usual walking more than striking out, but the strikeouts are actually spiked for the first time in a few years, the highest of his career to this point, which is weird, considering that even as a 19-year-old kid, he only posted a 20, uh, 20% strikeout rate. Even it's 20.9%, so I'm being technical here. But the walks are also – he is walking or striking out 43% of the time. Wild. OBP of 372, while – Having a 194 batting average, the Babbitt has not increased as we expected with the shift change. He has four home runs, so he's still hitting for power. Juan Soto, are we? Is this just kind of who he is now, or are we still going to see better things ahead? Like, I feel like it's yeah. been like an ongoing thing now at this point. Um, well, we are seeing um, so far like a it's marginal, but it's a career high called strike rate, uh, career low swing rate. I, I mean, this was part of the problem for me. This was uh, one of the reasons why I was off of him uh, in draft season where he was going like in the middle of the first round was that I, I, you know, his plate discipline is almost too good for fantasy, right? Like if he's walking over 20% of the time, how impactful is his batting average going to be? Yeah. You know, right. So OBP, he's a a gem. (laughs) Absolutely. Oh yeah, absolutely. Uh, but yeah, just the, yeah, given the so struggle, good. the struggles with the the batting average last year, and then it now carrying over into this year. But I I'm not too concerned. I mean, we've seen this from from hitters like this before. You know, we there was a big, um, you know, Jose Ramirez was one a few years ago that that we we saw this from, and then he just completely turned it around. I, I think Soto uh, just I mean, given his his skills, I mean, I I think he will turn it around. Um, but yeah, you just you definitely you're you're don't discouraged. like to see. Yeah, you're you're discouraged <laughs> with what he's he's done so far. But uh, he's not the only one. There's a lot of guys off to slow starts, and I, I think he's going to be fine. I just—it's one of those things that maybe you should have tempered expectations with the batting average. We all right. thought he get, we all thought maybe he could get closer to these first four, and I still think I still think he can because if Soto can get closer to that three twelve Babbitt, which was his lowest entering twenty twenty two. It was a 312 back in 2019, which and that was during what that was the juice ball days too, which is wild. His little is Babbitt. But uh considering the shift is gone, the amount of contact he can make, the, the how good of, of an eye he has at the plate, I do think Soto is in for better days, but maybe we should maybe we should be expecting closer to that 242 that he posted last year compared to the 300 or the 280s that we saw in previous seasons. That's all, yeah. but he's still an elite I mean, talent. But yeah, yeah some part, you know, part, here's part of the issue though. That fifty-five yeah. percent ground ball rate is so right. bad. That's, that's yeah, ground ball rate is back up over fifty percent, and he's pulling a lot. Uh, a lot of pulled grounders. 
Uh, so you don't like to see that. But his, I mean, his expected stats, he, he's still hitting the ball tremendously hard. 53% hard hit rate, 16% barrel rate. So, I mean, he's he has a 418 slug and a 533x slug. Things are going to turn around for, for Juan Soto. But, yeah, like you, you just got to temper your expectations with the uh, – you know, with the with that batting average, but yeah, I I, I think he's going to be fine. And I made the screen a little bigger for those who might need to see it, but uh, the pulled ground ball rate is at sixty nine point six percent, not so yeah. nice. But the pulled fly balls are still twenty six percent, which isn't bad. It's just he if he can get if he can elevate some more of those pulled balls. And I believe I think it was Jeff Erickson on on the Rotowire podcast was talking about how he heard or read something about that being an issue that Soto's aware of. So we'll see if that's something that they make a point to try to adapt or fix. But Soto's power is legitimate, I think, and he's such a good hitter. He's such a he has such a good eye at the plate that I don't see this being a long term issue. The next player we should talk about is Jake McCarthy. So I talked about him in the last podcast. So anyone listening to this one, I'm gonna let you give your thoughts on Mr. McCarthy. And do you expect him to bounce back, or was last year's second half a bit of a mirage? Get it, mirage, because they play in the desert. Uh huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> sorry <laughs> yeah um yeah M- mccarthy yeah i don't know he was another one that i was off of just because i i saw you know the inflated 349 babbitt last year the low uh hard hit rate the swinging strike rate that showed that you know there was a little bit more swing and miss uh there than uh the 21 percent strikeout rate indicated there was so uh, he hasn't struck out a ton so far and the babbitt is down to 186 it's just a really big time overcorrection, but he's also not hitting the ball hard, like at all. Um, and I don't think he's someone that like, you know, they're going to keep rolling out there if he's not producing, um, you know, they, they have outfielders, they have, they have players, you know, Alec Thomas his underlying metrics look uh, much better. So, and you know, he's, he's hitting. So yeah, I, I would be a little more concerned for sure with, with McCarthy. With, yeah, with, yeah, I'm I'm concerned with McCarthy as well. I, I expressed it as well in a rather deep breakdown this morning on the live stream slash podcast. So I won't repeat my thoughts. If you are interested in that, listen to the last episode or check out the last live stream, and you can find that information there. Moving along to Matt Chapman is, I mean, obviously he's not going to sustain this level of production, but there was a lot of us that really bought into him having a little bit of like a bounce back slash breakout. We're obviously seeing 397 batting average, 456, 461 OBP with a 750 slug, over a thousand OPS. Obviously, it's funny though is his WOBA is 512, his expected WOBA is 513. You don't usually see that inflated of a WOBA have the expected WOBA match. And if you look at his career numbers, his expected WOBA is usually in line with his WOBA too, like at least the last two years. So it's funny, but you're seeing you know improvements in the strikeout rate he's making. But how much of that is the hot streak for Matt Chapman? The home runs are there. He even stole base. He's one for three. He's he. The fact that he attempted three bases, three ba- three stolen bases, blows my mind because he only attempted four all of last year. He already has three attempts this year. I don't see the green light staying there for him because he's unsuccessful even with the new rules. But Matt Chapman is off to a blazing start. There are some encouraging changes, but obviously reg- negative regressions coming. Overall, though, what are your thoughts on Matt Chapman's start, and where do you think he ends up compared to the last couple of seasons where we've seen him kind of decline in a sense? my thoughts are that I am really upset that I don't have more Matt Chapman. <laughs> I thought you had a lot. Maybe you didn't. I know I got in late. No, like I, got I was a year too early on that. I was all in last year. I thought, okay, like, you know, he's an, another year off from the, the hip um, issues. Uh, I think it was it like early 2021 or so, somewhere around that he, where he had the, the hip surgery. 
Uh, I don't remember exactly, but I do. I was all in on Matt Chapman last year. Look how red Didn't that exactly... is. It's so purdy. Yeah. Whoa, that's not normal. Outs above average third percentile. He's going to correct that. He's such a good third baseman. Definitely, anyway, definitely. But yeah, I, yeah, I, I just wanted to show the red. People like the red. People just like those red sliders. I think they're hilarious because they all say like three of them say the three or four of them say the same things over and over again, basically. Oh yeah. But uh, <laughs> but it's just funny. It's just funny to show them because like obviously they're pretty red. Everyone likes them. But yeah, I mean he's just stupid good right now, and obviously he's he, not he most is. Of it, this, this is the kind of season that like that you thought he can have when he was hitting thirty six home runs in twenty nineteen with just a twenty one point nine percent strikeout rate in Oakland. This this was the kind of like if everything went right for Matt Chapman, this is what we're going to mm-hmm. see, and it's happening. And I was a year too early, and I'm really <laughs> upset that I don't have more Matt Chapman this year. <laughs> I'm really now, happy obviously to have like him. he's yeah, I mean, he's gonna he's obviously not gonna have a 468 Babbitt. He's not gonna hit oh, damn near 400. No. I, um, I don't believe you. This is real. All of it's real. <laughs> damn it. I am gonna I am gonna just this is just this is happening right. The the all in MVP season. Nothing goes wrong. Everything goes right. Season is ha- he's at, he's actually pulling the ball the least amount of his career right now. Pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, so it's, it's, but you have to remember he has good opposite field power and the new fences should benefit him. The new in, the fences that came in should all benefit him as well there in Toronto. But yeah. I I, I want to believe. Let me. But if there's anything to be impressed about, it's the fact that the swing and miss. We're talking what this this will if he continues the swing strike rate where it's at. We're talking three straight seasons of improved swinging strike rates. We're talking what three straight seasons of improved Z contact rates and overall contact rates. Z contact is zone contact for those that don't know this or aren't familiar with the with the metrics. But Matt Chapman has show he's progressively gotten better each of the last three years in some of these metrics, and it's like. Is it finally all coming together? Isn't it, I think he's is it a contract year for him too? Is that part of it? Maybe it is a contract year. There it, it is. is. Boom, year. nailed it. <laughs> there, oh, we found it. We got to the bottom of it. <laughs> yeah, he'll suck next year. You guys are all gonna buy into the third round price tag. He's gonna be next year's Austin Riley, but well, but but Austin Riley's younger and and entering his prime. Chapman's gonna be exiting his. Anyway, but yeah, uh, I just wanted to say that this is real. This is gonna happen, and I'm I'm he's never slowing down. He's this is it. This is that. This is the magical league winning pick that we all wanted to find. We found it. All right, that's it. <laughs> but Jared Kelnick, speaking of league winners, uh, he's a guy that we've been chasing the dream on for years, and it's coming together. He's hitting what 310, 385, 603 strikeout rate. That's the big thing. Twenty four point six percent this year and that's coming off of you know 33 percent last year a 28 percent in the year before this is just the major league uh k rates for kelnick he's always been this type of good strikeout guy in the minors finally seeing it come to fruition he has the stolen bases as well we know the skill we know the power and speed are there those those skill sets were never questioned it was the swing and miss obviously a six a 30 368 is inflated so he, i don't think he's a 300 hitter either 310 batting average but ultimately, what I'm getting at is that there's a lot of positive changes happening early on. You're seeing him take pitches inside out. You're seeing him hit pitches high in the zone. It looks like he's finally figuring it out. Are you optimistic? Do you think it's a bit of a fluke? Do you think the old Jared Kelnick's going to stand up here and ruin everything for everyone? Where, where are you at with him? Uh, it, it's hard to say the old Jared Kelnick when he's only 23 years old. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> the young so Jared I, Kelnick. The young Jared Kelnick yeah. stand up. I think um, he's another one where, like, I I saw what he was doing in the spring, but it was like you look at it's his spring. AAA numbers, <laughs> right? You look at his AAA numbers, and it's like, well, he's he's done this before. I mean, he had uh, over a thousand OPS in twenty twenty one in AAA. He had uh, 
where, where is it at? He had a uh, 922 OPS in AAA last year. I mean, it's, it's like, okay, he's done this before, but he, every time he's gotten his chance in the, in the majors, he's fallen flat on his face. And so I, I, I wasn't sure what to like, if it was believable in the spring, but he's obviously carried it over um, now into the regular season. And the good thing, the another encouraging thing too, I mean, he's been, he's been in the lineup the last two games against lefties and he's actually hit lefties pretty well so far. Um, this really was a four for 11, a small, super small sample, but I mean, it's a, just a little in, encouraging there. And like you said, the strike rate is down, walk rates up. Um, it is 65 plate appearances, so it's not exactly nothing. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I think this was, this was a big, I think he's going to end up being a big time value there. Yeah, I have one share, and I made a point to get him in my FOMO draft, where my FOMO draft included George Springer, Corbin Carroll, Jared Kelnick. Um, you can see it's off to quite the start. It's actually, last I checked, it was like a top 25 overall DC team, too. So it's like, it's just the type of start. It's had everyone who's hot, because like I just got a bunch of FOMO guys. They're all hitting. I think I have Chapman on that team, too, which I already had Chapman, but I didn't have enough. So it's just one of those teams where everybody – like it's starting off as good as you can on the hitting side, the pitching side. I also had Chris Sale. I was very thankful. I started him this week. I was very thankful for the bounce back because he was looking rough. Um, I might, I think I have Woodruff on that team too. Or I have Kevin Gossman. No one cares about that. All my teams. But my point was is just that it's funny that I had. I finally got that FOMO team and I finally got my share of them. And I wish I had more though because yeah, I was with you. I was kind of afraid to buy in. Kelnick's up, all he's done is let us down to this point, you know. But twenty three years old, not. But the thing is, and then you can the counter argument would be, well, look what Adele's done. Adele's never come around on that prospect pedigree and kind of had the same questions in terms of the, the, the plate discipline. But I think the difference was, is didn't Adele kind of have some of those issues in the minors, whereas yeah. Kelnick, Kelnick yeah. never did. So that might be the big, that might be the big difference there. But anyway, yeah. and Kel, Kelnick's just making these strides, taking these big steps forward, like this, this, the lack of chasing, the lack of swinging strikes. They're both career best and both better than league average. While increasing, obviously increasing all the contact rates in the process makes sense. Obviously, if he's not, he's uh, he's swinging less. He's a little more patient. He's picking his spots better. I there's a lot to like here in Kelnick's profile in terms of just what he's doing under the hood, and, and obviously the production will follow because he is just naturally mm-hmm. gifted as a baseball player. But yeah. We can move on. Sorry, I was checking. Obviously, I'm just checking my teams because I have addiction problems with uh, <laughs> fantasy baseball. Better than anything else, I guess. Uh, so we can talk about some of these. One last surger, and then we'll talk about some slow starters. Yandy Diaz. He's a guy that I feel like this was the first year. I think I actually think I got shut out. Yandy's always been a safe, solid fantasy producer. And just somebody you can kind of plug in in your corner and field, set him, forget him. We know the biceps are there. We know he's a big dude. We know he's strong. We know he can hit home runs if you really tried to and it looks like he's finally trying to and look at the launch angle and launch angle is actually more of a reflective thing to what he's doing so it's, a, it's something I, I talked to a prospect mind about this and pretty much it's not the complete correct thing so don't i can't say this is right for like everything but the the essential premise is players go after a ball with a certain attack angle and that attack angle allows them to hit more fly balls or whatever and that and then what you're seeing is the launch angle as a produ- as a production of that attack angle so the launch angle is reflective of the fact that he's hitting more fly balls, not the reason he's hitting more fly balls, if that makes sense. I think we've – and that's how I've learned it now because I used to always lean on it as a crutch as to, oh, he changes launch angle. No, they attack, they change their attack angle, attack angle, and the launch angle is a, product, a product of that, from my understanding, in terms of how the balls fly. 
I could be wrong. I apologize if I'm wrong again, but that's how I understand it when I talk to some people that are smarter than me about this stuff. I digress. My point is, is if you look at that, you know he's hitting more five balls, and we know that's all he ever needed. And with this, he's barreling the ball more. Yandy's uh, freaking amazing. Tell, talk about yeah. him. You, you go ahead. He's always, he's always been – we've all loved Yandy for years. Yeah, I don't know about attack angle and, and all that, but, I mean, I'm looking at, like, his uh, rolling graphs. I, I mean, his 32.1% ground ball rate would be a career low um that's huge right now so yeah i mean there it definitely seems to be some some changes there and yeah he's six home runs already after last year he had nine all season in 558 plate appearances he's got six 17 percent barrel rate he has nine barrels he had 20 all last year <laughs> like, yeah yeah <laughs> he's already like that's absurd like th- these okay folks at home listening watching these are the types of changes that you look at early in the season and make changes in your idea of who this player was because obviously this is not the same down to D as we've known for the last five years. This is a new and improved down to D as now Willis is staying all season long. Can't say that for certain. We saw Hosmer right. do this and we saw Hosmer do this in 2020 and that's shortened season. Hosmer, yeah. he did, he finally did it. We finally got what we wanted from Hosmer. And if you actually watch his, his, his rolling graphs on his, on his, uh, launch angle and everything else was just ground balls went up launch angle dipped down it was like slowly over the course of those two months so this could just be very well an early change but at the end of the day you know at least in the short term yana diaz is this guy like the plate discipline's still there the contact skill is still there he's not he's walking more than he's striking out while he's barreling the ball more than ever and hitting it harder than ever and all those skills have always been there. It's just a matter of him finally putting it together. And that's, it's just, it's glorious. I have no shares, I don't think. And it's again, it's, and he's 31. So who's, I'm sorry, but you don't usually see a 31 year old breakout like right. this. And yeah. but I, I'm buying it with Yandi compared in comparison to like, I don't know, I'm sure there's other 30, 30 year old break. Oh, like, like Brent Rooker. Like if you're trying to compare the two in terms of like, oh, look, they're both old men breaking out. Yeah, but Yandi's always had this. Rooker's always had hot streaks. And I think Yandi's kind of, I don't even know how old Rooker is. I think he's close to 30. I'm just guessing. I just picked a name that's hot and, you know, kind of like a guy that we wouldn't get, like, actually believe in. But you get my point, though. But here, this, uh, yeah. Anyway, back to Yandi. You have anything to add? Because I kind of cut you off because I'm really good at that. I got really excited. <laughs> no, no, no. That's pretty much That's pretty much it, man. Yeah. I'm, like you said, I, is there going to be some, you know, ebbs and flows in that ground ball rate throughout the season? Uh, is he going to revert back to, you know, um, the Yandi we, we've seen the last few years here and there? Like, I'm, I'm sure we're going to see that. Uh, but it's definitely encouraging to see the production he's put up already. You're definitely already been rewarded based on, like, where he was going in drafts. So if he ends up being a 20 to, you know, 20 to 25 home run with, you know, 280 to 300 average and, Hitting atop that raised lineup that is just a machine right now. I mean, yeah, he's, he's absolutely has been one of the steals of the drafts. He's going to be a top 100 player at this point, and you pay you got him around pick 300. This is that's the type of right. like, these these bold, these old boring guys that have these random breakouts. These are these are huge guys in terms of return on investment. You'll see, and like a guy like Jose Siri who was kind of like starting off in that type of trend of post 300 moving. Like, I think he'll still be able to get there, but you get my point. Like you have to identify these values in drafts, like. You might pick the right guys early, but if you're not picking the guys late, everybody's getting good good players early. You got to hit on these guys late. Matt Chapman's kind of in that range, obviously a little earlier. He was more of like a one top one fifty guy, but guys like um I don't know, it's I'm trying to think of names. I don't know. Josh Naylor was supposed to be a guy like that, but he's not. He sucks. But <laughs> like Labor Torres, 
started off so hot, man. We we like the first week or two, we we're like, oh my god, he's awesome. He's still in bases. He's five for eight now, but he was like five. I think he had five for six. He got caught a couple times. It doesn't matter. But uh, five for eight on the stolen bases, two home runs, walking more than striking out. Another good sign there. Some bad Babbitt luck overall, though. I think he's gonna be just fine. Did, didn't he have like a little? Didn't he get nicked up on some type of thing too? I feel like he, there was a small little injury that kept him day to day that he hasn't gone on the IL for though. That, that happened? Yeah, it was like his, his hip was bothering him or something. Do you remember um, when so that I, happened? I, I want to say it was about a week ago. I think he missed one game last week. I think he sat out. Let's look from um, the ninth. Let's just look from the ninth out of curiosity. Since the ninth, because I just picked the random date 10 days ago, he's batting 125. Uh, strikeouts are more than more, no power. Caught stealing once. Uh, if that's right around the date that it happened, maybe there's a reason. Maybe that's actual, like, okay, the hip isn't right right now. That's all. It could be that. It could be as simple as that. Overall, though, he still looks very great on paper, obviously. But I'm just curious. I, if I go back and find the date when he had that little hiccup and correlate that with the stats, I guarantee you there's a correlation there before and after. Yeah, yeah. When, when, we're getting, uh, when we're getting our, like, names together today, I, I had mentioned uh, him along and uh, mm-hmm. another. Because, I mean, this – Dudes were guys that like uh, kind of had some uh, helium, uh, had their backers. You know, I was one of them. I loved uh, Glaber and uh, Taylor Ward was another, and they, they were just fresh on the mind because I was just I was just watching the Angels and uh, Yankees this afternoon, and I'm like, come on, Glaber, Taylor Ward, like you guys do something. <laughs> uh, they're, they're both of them the are gift, definitely the gift, on the gift where you're poking them with a stick, like do something already. Just yeah. Yeah. You, you see, you see um, the Yankees put up, you know, these runs and, and it's like Glaber one for five, one run. I mean, okay. But yeah. Okay. Ready? Nine. nine okay. Nine runs. Oswaldo Cabrera is over four. Meanwhile, Kepler, <laughs> Ke- Kepler on my bench is two for five with an RBI. Like, come on, that's way more useful. Anyway, yeah, I'm, I'm regretting but, the hell out of that move right now. But but hey, Jonathan <laughs> India is doing Jonathan India did work for me today. I'll take it. Anyway, yeah, uh, back to it, the, it back just, to... Glaber and and, uh, and Ward in particular, like they all their production has come in like the first week, and they've been ice cold the last two years. But I mean, last two weeks. Um, but like you you pointed out, I mean, like Glaber's walked more than he struck out. Babip's a little down. I think both of these guys, um, like yeah, if they have um if there are owners that are getting frustrated with rostering them based on how ice cold they've been the last two weeks i mean i definitely like their guys that i would go put out like some buy low offers for sure so the injury occurred on the 11th so i pulled up his stats like when he was first pulled early do it due to it yeah he's hitting even worse. So if you include the 11th from the 11th till the 9th, 19th, so what 30 play appearances, again, we're talking small samples of small samples here, a negative 12 WRC plus batting eight, batting 80, 080, not like 180 or 800. No, 080 He's batting 80 with a 154 Woba. And not obviously the power hasn't been there. He been there. He, hasn't, he got caught stealing. If you look at the barrels here, I'll actually share the tab. And I realize that if you actually look at the barrels. We're talking at the hard hit rate took a plummeted 31.6%, zero barrels over the span. Again, we're talking a very small sample, but if you look at the, so if you look up until like, we'll say the 10th, obviously, I'll, oh, sorry, we'll go to this, I gotta do the 10th here, which means I think, oh my goodness, I suck at this. Okay. So if we go from opening day to the 10th, cause obviously I'm dumb. And you look at all that, look, barrel rate was 14%. Hard hit rate was up. Not great, but still up. You look at the overall production. Amazing. 
There's, mm-hmm. I, there's honestly a core. I feel like there's a true correlation. 41 plate appearances, almost exactly half the plate appearances. You can see a true correlation before injury, after injury. This would make for a good tweet, actually, which I might steal and do. But the point was was to show this as a, hey, look, we are. There is correlation here. There is something going on with Glaber that uh, that makes sense why the production has hindered, and that's why maybe he's not fully healthy. That's why he's DA. They called it Peraza because of Donaldson, but they're also making a point that DH Glaber, which could be speaking to his health as well. Obviously, he's probably not 100%. I don't know. That's that's where my head's at with this one. Yeah. Um, you mentioned Taylor Ward. You want to talk about him? Is is there anything that you've noticed in his profile? Or you, I mean, he started, again another guy that started off hot. I didn't see any noticeable injuries or issues with him. So. No, um, no, I, I I didn't either. I was just kind of put him in the same bucket with uh, uh, like Glaber. Just because I have so much of of Ward and, and Glaber, and I see um, Ward today. I mean, zero for five. He's not barreling a damn thing right now, which is weird considering he's coming off back-to-back seasons, double-digit barrel rate. So that's one thing. The ground, yeah. ground ball rate slightly up, a lot of fly balls, a little more infield fly balls. Maybe he's getting under the ball a little bit. That's what I think of for Taylor Ward. And if we, this is why I do quick scrolls of players. Like, okay, so I see that. That's kind of a thing. He's chasing more. The swing strike rate's not up, but he is being. So I think maybe he's pressing because the swing rate is higher than last year. I mean, not too much higher compared to the previous years, but it's up. And then, the, but the big thing is the chase rate. The first time ever in his career, it's above 29.2%. It's at 32.7, which is about league average, a little worse than league average. And he's still making 92% Z contact. I don't see, I, I think it's more of like a, just a slow, a slow stretch. Maybe he's pressing ever so slightly, getting under the ball a little bit. I do expect better days ahead for Ward. I, this is just a quick, a quick look at him from my point of view my first time looking at him i like to do these quick little look and when people people don't know is for years me and george would not have an outline and we would just randomly like here here's five names let's talk about them and i would do this live on the podcast anyway but now you get to see me do it live on the podcast if you're watching <laughs> so it's like i would just like and you could tell when i prep versus when i don't prep or if i have i usually have a shit ton of oh, excuse my language i usually don't curse on this podcast i usually, but i usually have a <laughs> bunch of information top of mind all the time let's talk about anthony santander then that could be one of the last things we discuss before we get out of here it's been about an hour a little over an hour because we like to talk baseball and Santander is another hot topic name. I've seen people talk about dropping him. Obviously, very uncharacteristic strikeout rate. But he's also walking more than ever. It's almost like, I wonder if it's a passivity issue because the bad bit's higher than usual and he's still only hitting 206. Yeah. Uh, well, he's another one on? where, yeah, he's another one where, like, I, I did want to put like bring him up in contrast to the guys like Glaber and, and Taylor Ward where, like, you've seen still a lot of um, similar, like, underlying numbers for Ward and, and Glaber. Like, it's not, like, too far out of the box, but... Like Anthony Santander, I mean, he's striking out 32% of the time. And, yeah, he doesn't typically have that kind of strikeout rate. Um, and despite a 300 BABIP, he's only hitting 206. Um, now, he's one that I believe uh, sat out a couple games last week as well with a back issue. So that might be a thing where, like, yeah, he's just not comfortable up at the plate at, right now, you know, at the moment. Um, uh, he still, I mean, he still has a 48% hard hit rate, a 9.8% barrel rate. So he has gotten a, a bit unlucky. Uh, but just like given the strikeout rate, maybe I'm um, a little more concerned. But I do expect him to to turn it around too. Hopefully, like, you know, if there is some kind of underlying thing that him and like um, and Glaber are like dealing with, then uh, maybe just given a little bit of, of time, we'll, we'll start to see them bounce back. But yeah, this one does give me a little bit more uh, concern just given how much he's striking out right now. 
Yeah, and the thing is, is it's either uncharacteristic or it's red flags. And it's hard to tell. Again, this is when it's like, do you, you, I would kind of like to defer to track record the last few years for him. And although he's always been an aggressive hitter, Santander's chasing more than ever, pretty much 40% of the time, mm-hmm. 40, almost 41% of the time compared to still being a pretty high chase rate guy, 35%, 36.7 last two years for Santander. But the big thing here is he's swinging more than usual, at least more than last year. Again, I keep saying last year because last year was the breakout, but then the year before it was kind of in this range. Uh, but another thing, the big thing here is actually the Z contact, the zone contact, 76%. He's, he hasn't been below 83% since his rookie season in 2017. So that's weird. And then the swinging strike rate is the lowest it's also been since 2017. Or sorry, the highest, the highest in a bad way. It's bad. It's, it's a bad number. It's 14.1%. <laughs> League average is about 11.1. At least it was this morning when I looked. So that's what you're getting at. It's like you're getting some swing and miss in his game, a little more swinging last year, a little more chasing. Maybe he's not seeing the ball well. Maybe he's pressing. And the big thing I did notice, too, I, I was highlighting it while you were talking, was the infield fly ball rate really spiked for some reason. It's at 26.3%. It was the highest it's ever been was like 19% a couple years ago. He has hovered around 19% multiple times in his career. Never 26.3%. So, And the home run fly ball rate is pretty much 10% lower than his usual output there, too. I think it's just a matter of him getting right. Look, 56.1% pull rate tells me he's probably pressing. Pull rate, pulling fly balls, trying to really make a point to get back on track. I think Santander is, it comes to me, it comes off to me as pressing. But there could, maybe it is, maybe it's the back lingering. Maybe mm-hmm. there could be a bunch of things, but I, I, I'm I'm not quite ready to panic. And like, I'm not dropping them. I'm definitely benching them right now. No. Like if I have Jake Berger or Kerry Carpenter, I, 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 I trotted those guys out over Josh Naylor, who I still rather have moving forward right now than Santander for reference and josh naylor just pisses me off you know what i will do one more little look because he wasn't part of the outline but we got to see because last time i looked at him I'm like, oh he's not that bad he's gonna do whatever he had a couple home runs i think at one point he's still doing josh naylor things what the hell's going on why do you have a 143 bad as a lefty this year when there's no shift jerk and <laughs> and for reference he's a 273 babbit guy he's never really been a big babbit guy regardless of the shift but 14 percent uh, K rate walking more than usual so he's actually being overly like over patient which is weird has the two hormones like i mentioned but batting 153 with a 143 BABIP, I think that's part of it. His ex woba is over 130, about 130 points higher than his actual woba. So he's been unlucky there too. Yeah. So I think it's, oh man, I actually feel way more, com- I'm already more comfortable than Santander. His, his yeah, hard hit rates, go. his hard hit rates are a little low, but kind of not that much lower than in line last year. His barrel rates pr- a little lower than last year, but pretty much in line. I think that comes around with him obviously getting better. He's, he's actually hitting less. He's, he's hitting a career best ground ball rate of 37%. He's also spiking the most fly balls of uh, infield fly balls of his career. So he's getting under the ball a little much there, probably. And all yeah, of his, I think course, all these things will normalize. I do too, but I'm wondering is he trying to put the ball in the air more and that's causing some of these bad BABIP issues? Because if you mm-hmm. are putting the ball, if you, I mean, it's a 49% fly ball rate. That's extreme. And it's obviously a 16% infield fly ball rate. So BABIP is due to correct. Even with this approach, however, people need to understand that BABIP also sometimes is earned. People often cite BABIP blindly without understanding that sometimes a player's BABIP is low based on their approach. And if he's hitting 50% of the balls in the in, in the air and 43, say majority of those, we'll look up his actual his fly ball rates direction of the field, but say majority of those are going to center field, those are going to be fly outs. He's going to have a bad BABIP. And if he's popping up, if he's, if he's hitting 16% of them in, in the infield, Naylor's going to have a bad BABIP. So right now, the BABIP, although bad, is somewhat his own doing in terms of fa- who's mm-hmm. at fault. It's his. And I, I think we don't trust enough as analysts. People just, oh, bad BABIP, it's going to regress. Is it, though? I feel like you need to put context to it, and we don't do enough of that. But otherwise, still the same elite discipline in terms of like swing strike rate, sub-10%. Contact, Z-contact, 
89.5%. That's his league average. Sorry, 93, 93.9% is his Z contact. Second, that's actually the highest of his career right now. He's doing this while being more aggressive at the plate, a little slightly, while while chasing more, even. Like he's he makes a ton of contact. It's not a contact issue. I think it's a quality of contact issue because we saw those take a little bit of a dip for Naylor, but mostly I think he's just too many fly balls. Like you normally you want players hitting more fly balls, but not when they're not going to the pool side, which also might be an issue, which we're gonna look at right now. You're seeing me. I'm freaking. I'm, I'm tilting right now, and I'm just. I'm trying to find. Like I want answers. <laughs> at least, at least, I, I'm. At least, I'm more comfortable. Like Santander has more red flags than this. Naylor just. I think it's more of like, a, okay, he'll figure it out. Santander actually has a lot, of, a lot more swing and miss and other concerns. But um, where's the batted ball content? Here, batted ball, pull fly ball rate is 50, 35.3 percent of the time. The fact when the ball when it warms up, that's gonna that's gonna turn into a lot of home runs. 35.3 percent pull fly balls. Naylor is not a. He's a good power guy. I think those yeah. fly, I think those pull fly balls are going to leave the park more times than not if he keeps this approach up. I I, I like what I'm saying. You know what? Buy low on Josh Naylor if you trade. I'm just I'm, I I had to freaking I had to rant. I was getting because I, I I benched him and I'm, I keep especially against lefties. I keep benching him. He's been terrible. But I don't know. I, I think there's better ahead though. There's I actually am encouraged by what I saw there. But screw Santander. Anyway, other, <laughs> other than getting married, which you know you picked baseball season to do this, which was dumb. No, but uh, congratulations, buddy. <laughs> Uh, 200 episodes. We almost, you know, we've almost quit this podcast like five times, but I'm trying, you know, we're keeping it going now. <laughs> um, yeah. ho- hopefully 200 more episodes. That'd be a lot of fun. But all, all, things considered, all things considered, George, I'm really happy to call you a partner, but also now we, we've actually become friends. You know, we've met in first pitch Arizona and obviously we plan to do that again sometime in the future. And honestly, if I could make, if I could have made it to your wedding, I would have loved to be there, but we live across the country from one another. Yeah. <laughs> so it logistically is really tough, but all things considered, I'm really happy to call you a friend, buddy. 200 episodes have been a lot of fun, and honestly, congratulations on getting married. I'm I'm really happy to see. I've kind of watched you grow up a little bit. You know, we've we've been there for the last, last four or five That's years. That's right. Today. Yeah, I was I was a I was a single man when we started this, and yeah. now I'm getting married next weekend. So. You're welcome. I take <laughs> yeah. full credit. If Simeon's listening, I, Simeon, I take full credit for everything <laughs> that everyone does in their lives. You're welcome, George. <laughs> no, I uh, thank you. No, but I, yeah. I I feel the same, man. I if there's anything that I've gotten from this, it you know you and and Zach and. Um, Simeon, as much as you guys go at it, and and Bubba, you and not Bubba's I, part of the mix, yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, this this has been like I honestly feel blessed. Uh, no matter where this podcast goes, that like you know I've made some really good friends. The fact that you actually you make friends, people, you know, it's you know how hard it is to make friends as an adult. I've lost more friends than I've right? made. I've, I've lost more <laughs> friends than I've made as an adult, and it's just a, it's the common love of a game, and it's, it's it's the fact that we bounce ideas off of each other. We don't always agree, and. I do wish we disagreed more and maybe we, I'm going to make a point. Maybe our next podcast, we get together. We'll talk about how great your wedding was and we'll just find a podcast. We can argue about things because uh, yeah, I really, I, I do have to do that. <laughs> I just, I feel, I feel like I just, what it is is I think there's just a lot of, it's almost like an echo chamber, unfortunately, because we do, we've been working together so long that it's rare that we don't agree. Uh, and on top of that, when we don't agree, it's usually with reasoning that it's like, okay, I guess I, I see that, but yeah. next year I'm going to make a point that, you know what? I need Simeon because I just hate him. So I make a point to disagree with him. But yeah, in all seriousness, George, I really do appreciate it. Everyone watching, I know we just got some new viewers. We're gonna be heading out. The whole thing, the whole live stream is gonna be uploaded on YouTube. Check it out. The the this will the podcast itself will be out in the morning. So uh, appreciate everyone watching, listening. Until next time, I'm Mike. You can follow me on Twitter at Mike underscore Curland. George, as always, joined me, Jorge at Roto underscore Nino. Check us out on Patreon, patreon.com slash GTE Fantasy. And of course, five star rating review on the podcast is greatly appreciated. And until next time, we will talk to you soon.